the Draft Champions podcast. I'm here with Rob Motti um, of the uh, 975, the, the Fanatic, and um, Faith on the Field. He's a beat writer for the Philadelphia Phillies, as well as, um, uh, I guess, the Eagles as well. How you doing? I'm doing great, Zach. How are you, bud? I am fantastic. I really appreciate you spending uh, some time with me and uh, generously donating, um, hopefully half an hour here. Sure. So um, I, I, what I've been doing is I'm talking to beat writers because this is a fantasy focused podcast, but um, what we're going to be talking about is baseball in general. Um, but before we do, I, I got to ask you about um, the Eagles because they got a quite an interesting situation going on there right now with their quarterbacks. So uh, anything you can share with me? Yeah. And it is, it really is an interesting situation. I've never seen uh, a team go from Super Bowl champion to a complete disaster in three years the way they did because they were in the playoffs the past two years they went Super Bowl champs nine and seven playoffs win a game then losing the divisional round nine and seven uh divisional champs and then losing the first round Carson gets hurt and all of a sudden the coach gets fired Carson Wentz looks like he's on his way out the door it is an incredibly uh odd situation what we've seen how it's deteriorated here and it's it's happened man because the Eagles are they haven't drafted well for a series of drafts several years and they've reached that point where they don't have talent top to bottom. So a lot of people like to blame just a quarterback or just a coach. Well, they'll see that it's beyond just the coach and just the quarterback. Yes. The quarterback was part of the problem, but so are a number of other players and they had a lot of injuries last year. So I'm not sure where it's going to end up. I've done a couple shows today. People asking me, where's Carson going to go? I don't know yet uh, whether it's Chicago, whether it's Indianapolis, whether it's a mystery third team, that comes in there, swoops in and makes a trade. I do believe most likely he will get moved between now and March 19th. Uh, at this point, though, I don't feel like they got a trade that's going to, unless it is what they want, they're going to hold out and, and wait and, and see what they can get for him. And maybe somebody comes in and makes an offer that they can't refuse. Sort of like the Chris Bryant of football. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> except Chris Bryant was still producing, right? <laughs> well, I guess, well, well, not last year, but yeah. And Car Carson last year had the, one of the worst seasons, the worst, one of the worst seasons I've seen statistically for a quarterback in a long time. And uh, the drop off was precipitous from where he was to where he ended up because December, 2019, he was still a pretty good quarterback. He was a top five, yeah. maybe top 10. I wouldn't say top five, top 10 quarterback. And all of a sudden he's a bottom three quarterback. But again, a lot of things are involved in that. No offensive line, uh, inadequate receivers, injuries everywhere. So I think all that contributed. We'll see where he ends up because I still think he's got a lot of good football left in him. You think? I, I think so too. So uh, Jalen Hurts, is he, you think he's a lot, of, a lot of people are saying he's top 10. Yeah, I, I like Jalen Hurts. I, I, I think he's got the intangibles, character, poise, leadership ability, charisma. I think he brings that to the team, leader, you know, leadership ability, command of the huddle. But I also like his talent because I like a running quarterback, a guy who can make plays with his legs. He's obviously got things to work on, especially with his arm, especially uh, as a passer, whether he's in the pocket or outside the pocket. But what I saw out of him in four games leads me to want to see more. I can't make a final determination on him. I don't know if he is the answer. I don't know if he's the future, but I also don't know that he's not. And for that reason, I think it makes a lot of sense for a team like the Eagles that's 4-11-1 that's rebuilding to move on from a quarterback like Carson, bring in more draft capital and rebuild around the young kid because you're not going to win anyway next year. Right. That makes sense. Well, shifting over to baseball, 
Um, this because this is supposed to be a baseball podcast as much as I'd like to continue talking football because I love football too. Um, in terms of the news, um, uh, Phillies they, they they did they did too they did make some minor moves this off, off season mainly their bullpen and we'll get to that. But uh, do you, do you see them making any more moves um, between now and I guess the start of the season? I think it's still the possibility still exists, Zach, because they don't have an answer in center field yet. They're going to enter spring training with Scott Kingery, who is a jack of all trades, and they're going to try him in center field again where he's played before. And uh, Adam Hazley, a former first-round pick who was seventh overall, give him an opportunity. But I think until they make a, a determination on who the center fielder is, and unless Jackie Bradley Jr. signs somewhere, as of right this minute, he hasn't, correct? Uh, correct as, me as far as I know, he's not. He's unsigned. Yeah, he hasn't signed anywhere. You know, things can are yeah. fluid. It can yeah, I'll check my phone. And it and, can happen any second. You know, that's a name that can always be mentioned as a possibility. I would have thought that they'd be interested in, in Kevin Pillar. Uh, the Mets looks like they've signed him today. He's going to end up going there. But I think that's something that they could potentially do. And also relief help. They've added a, a Archie Bradley, who has some closing experience for sure. He's done that. Brandon Kinsler, who was a closer last year for the Marlins, and they got him on a minor league deal invitation to spring training, which was surprising to yes. me that they were able to get him uh, on a deal like that. But apparently he wanted to come here. And I'm sure he, he got assurances that he's going to make the team. Obviously, 2-2-2 ERA last year, 12 saves. So they upgraded Sam Coomrod. They got from the Giants. They, they added some non-roster pitchers who've had success in the past, uh, Neftali Feliz being one of them. So I, I think they're hoping that out of that group, maybe two or three guys can step up. And then some of the guys returning, like Hector Neris, uh, can, can perform well, which he has for the most part. Uh, they also added a couple starters, some depth, and Chase Anderson and Matt Moore. And what that does is it allows them to have a competition for the fourth and fifth spots in the rotation. And whoever doesn't get the spots out of Anderson, Matt Moore, Vince Velasquez, who's been here, it seems like forever. And Spencer Howard, who's, who was a top prospect last year, you can move the other two into the bullpen. So that gives you more depth. So I, I feel like they probably are at the point where they don't necessarily have to make a move, but I wouldn't rule it out. The big moves they needed to make, I'm surprised that they made both of them because going into the offseason, Zach, we didn't really, we didn't think JT Romuto and Didi Gregorius were both coming back. It was probably, okay, they're going to make a take a run at JT, but forget it, Didi's going to go somewhere else. And all of a sudden they bring both of them back, which gives that offense some stability. And that's a huge deal for this team. Well, the shortstop market was kind of soft, it feels like, because like A's wanted nothing to do with Semyon. The Jays got him on a one-year deal. The Reds didn't want anyone. Um, so um, Didi sort of just fell into place there. Um, I think you hit like I think that um, one of the one of the obvious questions that just came that comes out of all the all that news is who's going to close in in Philadelphia and I, I've heard Girardi say that I think he wants to have a guy there like I don't think he I don't think he's really a committee guy is what I heard so if you had to make it a, a, an educated guess I know we're not, we're, I'm not going to hold you to it uh, I'm asking everyone um, that comes on about um, their team's closer what would you say I would think Archie Bradley or Brandon Kinsler. Maybe Kinsler because he had that experience last year. So I think that might give him the edge. He was the closer for the Marlins who were a playoff team last year and did a good job in that role. So maybe he's the guy who can – Hector Neris has had success in the eighth inning, seventh inning, 
Bradley's kind of been in those roles. So I would lean a little bit towards Kinsler over Bradley, but one or one of those two guys. That makes sense. I, I, I'd leave, I personally, I think Bradley over Naris, uh, but I never really thought that much about Kinsler. I mean, you're making me think about that twice now. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's done it and he's done it more most recently, right? So he's done it more, most recently had success doing it last year. So I, I think they got to really take a shot, take a look at him. And I think they will. And I think, um, I think um, Bradley's he's okay with being the, not a closer. I think he's, he's um, yeah. Psychologically. I think he's fine with that. Uh, the other thing that you were talking about is center field and you talked about Kingery and Hazley. Uh, there's also Roman Quinn there. Is he, are, are you writing him off? I see to me, Roman Quinn is a guy who is the ultimate fourth or fifth outfielder because you can't count on him with all the injuries that he continues to have. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I look at him as a guy who, yeah, if he's if he's healthy and available, great, because you could plug him in. But he also doesn't get on base. He's fast. He's got speed, but he just doesn't get on base enough to be a guy that you can count on day in and day out. So I think the best role for Roman Quinn, as long as he stays healthy, he's going to be a fourth, fifth outfielder. And with Andrew McCutcheon in left field and uncertainty in center, he's going to get opportunities to play. It's not like he's going to be just a guy who comes off the bench, but I I think it's Kingery and Hazley or maybe a platoon situation between those two with Quinn getting some spot starts. Right. And then um, what about Mickey Moniak? Like he's there. He was a a number one overall pick, wasn't he? He was. And you know, you never hear his name come up in these conversations. You never hear his name come up and he finally got a, a little taste of the major leagues last year and he I believe he appeared in nine games and didn't really uh, do anything to uh, distinguish himself as, as somebody who's got a, uh, a potential future as an everyday player I think he'll get an opportunity but it, it's kind of reached that point with Mickey Moniak former number one overall pick where he is what he is and it doesn't appear to be that he's a guy who I remember when he was drafted there was some hope that he would end up being Christian Yelich, the Miami Marlins version of mm-hmm. Yelich, not the, the home run hitting MVP in Milwaukee. I think everybody in Philly would take the Miami Marlins version of Christian sure. Yelich. That's pretty right? good. Uh, 300 hitter, 20 homers, 80 RBIs kind of guy. But uh, I haven't seen anything uh, that would lead me to believe Mickey Moniak could be that guy. He still could. Uh, he's still young. It could still happen. Uh, maybe some guys are really late, late bloomers but there isn't really that hope or that excitement level or that expectation for him. Right. So you've been, you've been covering um, the Phillies for a long time. How many years? Uh, 21 years for AP. So it's been a, it's been a long journey and I grew up in Philly. So I grew up a Phillies fan as a kid and uh, I go back to the Mike Schmidt era. Ooh, so you go back for a little bit further than me. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm 37. So I've, I was, I was at the 93 world series. Because oh I'm, wow! Were you there for Joe Carter's walk-off? I was there at that game. Oh, that's amazing! I was at that point. I was still like I was still in college, uh, or early in college. So that might have been my freshman year, I think. Yeah, I was, I was ten. I was there with my with my family. Like, my yeah, family. so I was I was still a huge fan. I remember we had a "Let's Go Phillies" banner hanging outside our window. Here's a funny story, Zach. So I lived with my parents at the time in a town next to where Mitch Williams lived. So <laughs> literally 10 minutes away. So after the game ended, I got in my car cause I was so uh, mad and irritated and I just went for a ride. Well, uh, 
wouldn't you know that we find out that Mitch Williams's house got egged by people's neighbors. I don't know who it was threw eggs at his house afterwards. Sure. So I, I actually had a face of questions. Hey, was that you? Cause you left the house after. <laughs> I'm like, no, I don't know specifically where he lived. I've never thrown an egg at anybody in my life. No, that was not me. Okay. Well, well, I'll, I'll believe you on that one. Get the record straight. Let's make it. Let's let's clear it up for everybody. It was not me. That was a good. That was a good World Series. I know you came out on the other end of it, but um, you made up for it a couple of years later. But I remember, um, I remember that that the like a really high scoring game. I remember I was asleep. I was I was young. I was like nine or ten. Yeah. And then uh, my dad woke me up. He's like, "You got to come see this game." The game that like they came, the Jays came back. You probably remember that game. Yeah, it was like 15-13. I just remember. Paul Molitor had like he might have had five hits or something. Tony Fernandez went nuts in that game. Tony Fernandez, yeah. Lenny Dykstra for the on the Philly side, but wow, yeah, I remember that game. I think it was 15-13. Something it was like that. Yeah. I think there was rain. It may have been uh it may have been like a rain delayed too and made it made it really long and went deep into the night. I'm not sure, but that was a wild game for sure. Well, you got you well, you sort of um the tide still returned when you when you um, borrowed I'll call it borrowed Roy Halliday from us and you won the World Series in 08. But uh, he was great. He was great. Eh? Halliday. Yeah, Roy. Roy was. Uh, so I was at the time, obviously, of course, in my job at AP when the Phillies acquired Roy. I was on vacation. I was in Vegas. It was my brother's, who's older than me, his 40th birthday. So it was him, his wife, me, and my girlfriend at the time went out to Vegas for like five days. And the next thing you know. Phillies are acquiring Roy Halladay. So I had to interrupt. Drabeck's son, right? Yeah. Kyle Drabeck. Yeah. yeah. Kyle Drabeck. So I had to interrupt my plans to, to write about that. But Roy came over here and I've never seen anyone so intense. He was maybe the most intense athlete, pitcher, any player position I've ever seen. A guy who had a like strong work ethic and he just went out there day in and day out. And, and what for him, pitching wasn't a one day a week thing every a fifth day. It was all of the routine and the practice and, and the, what he had to do the other four days to make sure he took that mound on that fifth day. And he was in his peak physical condition to be able to do it. So I think he taught a lot of people a lot of lessons about how to work uh, and, and be a real true consummate pro. Right. Uh, well, yeah, Halliday was good. I have fond memories of him, but Getting back to our topics at hand here, the 2021 Phillies. Um, now, like I, like I said, this is a fantasy-focused podcast. I have a lot of exposure to Alec Baum. I love Alec Baum. I think he's really good. Um, how good can he be? Like, I'm thinking, like, his power was, like, I don't think he knew how good his power was last year because I think he had four home runs. But I think, he, I think he's got, like, if you extrapolate that, I think there's more in the tank. Yeah, um, man, I was really impressed with Alec Baum, the way he came up, the way he swung the bat, he hit 338. He was uh, on base. I believe it was 400 right on the dot. And, and like you said, he only had four home runs, but I think power is something that he will grow into. What I really loved about him is he was an all fields hitter. He would, he, and he knew how to hit. Uh, he can work the count, but he can also, he would hit behind runners. He would go the opposite way. He's a true professional hitter. And when you got a guy coming up at that position with his size too, I think power will come. And it wouldn't surprise me in this ballpark where the Phillies play, if that power came this year, I, I think Alec Bohm can easily be a 20, 25 home run guy 
this year in 2021, which you don't think of as big numbers. It's not 35. It's not 40. But if he's going to hit close to 300, I, I don't anticipate 338 again. That's incredible. But if he can hit close to 300 with 20, 25 homers in this lineup, because the Phillies have depth in this lineup, um, that's going to be pretty huge for them. They were fifth in the league last year, tied for fifth in the league in runs scored. So Alec Baum, to me, is a, a major component of this team's lineup. And he may not be a middle-of-the-order hitter right now just because you have – Harper, Romuto, and Didi Gregorius, but eventually I think he's going to be a middle-of-the-order guy for a, a, a significant portion of his career. Yeah, he. Um, if you look at the advanced metrics, he um, he's, in a, he's in the company of a lot of really, really good hitters. If you look at just like the percentile rankings of like hard hit, barrels, expected, um, expected like average and slugging, he's right there with like Corey Seager, um, um, Kyle Seager too, but like Goldschmidt, Will Smith, Belt, um, Bellinger, Machado, Soto, Justin Turner. Like he's right up there, like in the top 20 with all those guys. If you look at those metrics, um, the other thing we'll get to in a minute is I, I want to know if he's going to be batting second in that order, but we'll, we'll save that for the end when I ask you what you think the lineup's going to be. Um, so we'll, 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 we'll uh, skip, we'll skip to that later. But another guy I wanted to ask was Hoskins. Like he's, we're expecting, we're expecting him to be that power spot in the middle of the lineup, but he's, um, He's injured right now, technically. Do you think he's going to – have you heard that he's going to be on track to play? I haven't heard that he's not. And I think tomorrow is report day and and uh, the five days away is from first full squad workout. So we'll get a good idea in the next couple days about where Reese Hoskins stands. I haven't heard anything about setbacks, so I haven't heard anything that he's not going to be available. Um, last year, he really – uh, he kind of thrived a little bit in that two spot in the lineup. And before he got injured, his power was starting to come back. And he ended up with 10 homers and he only played in 41 games. He, he was injured for a significant portion of the rest of the season. So he's a high on base guy, gets on base a lot. And we know he had power numbers coming up. And he was a guy who was projected to be a 35-40 homer guy. I think he certainly does get back into the 30-plus home run range. Okay, that's good. That's good to hear. Um, and then Segura and McCutcheon, they sort of they're similar to me in my mind because they're they're not in their they're not they're not in their peak anymore. But I feel like they could they've had they've had some years where I feel like they could have been better when, than what their stats have shown for them. And for specifically Segura, like if you just look at his athleticism, like he's not too far removed from like a, like a basically a 2020 season, it seems like. And his sprint speed, if you look at it, it, it went down and then it came back up. So I think of the two of them, I think I kind of have a little bit more faith in like the upside of Segura. Do you, um, what are your thoughts on either of them making like, I know they're not bad. They're, I know they're very good players, but what are your thoughts on like either one of them making like a rebound to, to have a season closer to closer to their prime years? I could see, I could see that happening with Segura. Cause you, you look at McCutcheon's numbers last year and they weren't that bad. They, they were pretty good numbers. For a guy in his, he was just coming back from a significant ACL injury at age 33. So he hit 253. He had 10 homers. He had 34 RBIs in 57 games. Uh, I think you you project that over the course of 162. He's not going to play that much. He's going to get a lot of days off. But you're talking about a guy who out of the leadoff hole is a 20 homer, 60 plus RBI guy batting in the 250s. 
Uh, so I, I think that's where he is. I don't know that he could take, I know it's a year removed now and he's coming back and he should feel better. I think that'll help him move around better in the outfield. I don't know how much that'll translate to making him a significantly better hitter. So I think that's just who he is. Gene Segura, on the other hand, last year he played in uh, almost all the games in the, in the mid fifties, hit 266, seven homers, 25 RBIs. He's only 30. He's, he's 31 years old. He's going to play this season. So I don't see why he can't be closer to before he came to Philly. He had three straight plus, three straight seasons of 300 plus batting average. Mm-hmm. I, I think he could, if he's going to settle in second baseman, and that's where it looks like he's going to be with Didi at short and Baum at third and, and uh, Kingery going to play in the outfield, he could settle into that second second base spot and, and maybe hit in the high 280s, low 290s. Yeah, I, I'd like to see that for sure. Um, and then JTR, I think you, you, I think you I think what you had, what you saw last year might be what you expect this year. Um, I don't see any reason to change my expectations. Yeah, with JT Romuto, um, you know, last year he got banged up towards the end of the season, missed a significant portion of the season. 47 games he played, 11 homers, hit 266, 32 RBIs. Uh, they paid him like the best catcher in baseball. And I know he does a lot defensively, but JT to me is a guy who is going to be a 25 homer range uh, in the 270 batting average and hitting and in, in probably hitting fourth in that lineup. Should be able to drive in 90 plus 100 runs uh, somewhere around there. And then what he gives you defensively is huge. Unfortunately, because there's no DH this year now in the National League, you can't give him a blow and not play him behind the plate and just start him as a DH. You'd have to do that and put him at first base, which would cost Reese Hoskins some of that. I don't know how much sense that makes, though. Maybe sometimes they will do that. It's it's too bad for the Phillies. They don't have that DH spot because that's something that JT could use, McCutcheon and Bryce mm-hmm. Harper too as well. Yeah, I think if, they, if he goes to first and then Hoskins, I don't know if he can move to the outfield anymore at this stage. I don't know if they do that. They might just put they might just end up putting Hoskins on the bench. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the closer. Uh, not sorry, not the closers, the starters. Um, do you think like the Phillies are a team that would go with a six man rotation? So given the way COVID can wreak havoc on on the, a schedule. Potentially, if you're going to have a lot of double headers, if that happens, you could certainly go six starters because they have they have seven guys to choose from, right? They got Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, Zach Eflin entrenched as one, two, three, and I don't know if it's going to be Wheeler day one or Nola day one or whatever. And, and then Velasquez, Howard, Chase Anderson, Matt Moore competing for the fifth, fourth, and fifth spots. So they have seven arms who can start. I don't know if they're all going to be healthy. But if they all come out of spring training healthy and two of them go to bullpen and you got some uh, double headers coming up, you certainly will see a six man rotation. And uh, I, don't, I don't know how long they would carry that for, but it depends on the days off, how COVID also plays a factor into it. Right. So not the one question is the six, uh, six, six man rotation for many teams. But the other question is the innings limitations. And Noel is a guy that's a horse. Um, a lot of teams or a lot of people in the industry are saying that they don't think they think the innings are going to be very limited on basically all pitchers. But Nola's a guy that I can see just going out there and pitching like just um, starting where he left off in 2019. 
Yeah, the problem with Nola and Wheeler too last year was September, and Nola's now had this September issue for a couple years in a row, two, three years, and he's had an issue in September. And he also does start off slow sometimes in cold weather when he's pitching in cold weather. But I still think there's another level that Aaron Nola can take his game to. We saw a couple of years back, Zach. Remember, he finished, uh, was it top three? Was it second or third in Cy Young Award voting? Now, the year with Snell. Him and Snell had the same year. That was a really very, very good years, right? I think that was 18. He was top three in Cy Young voting. And I think he could still be that guy. Uh, and Zach Wheeler, to me, stepped up last year and showed he can be a one-two and not just a three, four, or five like he had been. So uh, both of those guys, it's encouraging for the Phillies that they have them as one, two anchors in their rotation. But I, I do feel like Aaron Nola still got a little bit more that he could take his, his game to. And what I love about Aaron Nola is his poise. He's a guy who is so even keeled. You almost never see him have any kind of reaction on the mound. Whether You can't tell if he just struck 10 guys out in a row or if 10 guys in a row hit home runs off him, he still has that same demeanor, that same calmness on the mound. And to me, that's an incredible trait to have, an excellent quality as a starting pitcher, because sometimes you will have the tendency to get rattled, and he just does not get rattled. And I think that's really uh, speaks volumes to who he is. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Bieber in terms of his progression, um, neither were like that top like strikeout prospect in the minor leagues, but when they got to the major leagues, something, something changed. I, I think when Nola got to the major leagues, I think it was really quickly. He was striking out batters like you wouldn't expect. And um, he, he's turned in, he's turning into more of an elite pitcher than I even imagined he could be. Yeah, you're right. And he's become, yeah, a, a more, uh, a nine plus, uh, strikeouts per game guy and and that's been really big for him and he's worked on developing more pitches and he he's really somebody who uh I, I think takes to good coaching too he's very coachable and last year I thought Brian Price is the pitching coach who abruptly retired after the season I thought he could maybe bring even more out of him but uh you know they, they're 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 going to have I think with Aaron Nola a guy who is still has multiple all-star appearances on his resume. He's, he still hasn't reached that full potential. And Zach Wheeler, you know, I, I, there were some similarities people tried to make between Zach Wheeler and Garrett Cole when the Phillies signed them, like how Garrett Cole was at one point and he started, uh, he started projecting upwards. I don't know if Zach Wheeler can reach that high, but I still think he can also take his game to another level as well. Yeah, it's just, just that he didn't get the strikeouts. And people that, like, from a fantasy perspective, the strikeouts are important. So that's yeah. why Wheeler is not a guy that's valued as highly, but I'd like to see him take that uh, strikeout level up a little bit. Um, yeah. yeah, for sure. It, from, from, our, from our perspective, we're, we're, we're really valuing Nola very highly this year in, in, in his market value and for fantasy is very high. Him, he's in, a, he's in a little like tier with, Flaherty, so there's Nola, Flaherty, Brandon Woodruff, and uh, Luis Castillo. Yeah. Those four guys are sort of bunched into the, that same area. Um, I like Nola the, the best out of those four. I don't know. I know you don't cover those other teams, but um, do you have any give any um, opinion on that? Uh, Jack Flaherty had sort of a down year last year, right? He, his his ERA kind of rose, and his strikeouts were 
uh, certainly not in Aaron Nola's category. So I would take Nola over him. Uh, Luis Castillo, I do like uh, a lot. Who was the fourth guy you mentioned? Was that uh, Woodruff? Brandon Woodruff. Woodruff. I, I would still, because I see him uh, day in and day out, I would certainly lean towards Aaron Nola for sure, uh, especially because I'm, I'm so high on him. I like Woodruff's a big-time strikeout pitcher too. Uh, what did he have last year? I think he was in the uh, – You think 90-something strikeouts and 70-something yeah. innings. He was very similar to Nola, I think. Yeah, he is. His, his ERA was even somewhere right around there. So I, I would I would look at one of those two guys. If you're from a fantasy uh, baseball perspective and, and strikeouts are a big deal, my only question with Woodruff is because, you know, Nola's shown it for a few, a few more seasons, right? Woodruff has never pitched more than 121 innings. Right. So how will he hold up? And can he give you 30 starts? Because I can count on Aaron Nola to give me 30 starts. Right. That's that's a, that's definitely a fair point. That's what that's why Nola is probably going on average ahead of Woodruff. That's one of the main reasons. So, um, for in terms of prospects, we hit on a few of them. There's Spencer Howard. There's Moniac. But is there anyone like that? I'm, that no one's really that's off the radar. Like like a younger guy that's that not not someone that's that somebody that could um, debut this year. That's just sort of under the radar. Man, the Phillies farm system has been so completely. Uh, Usually just, I have names written down, but I don't. Right? Have. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, you look at Bryson Stott, who is in A ball. You look at Mick Abel, who was drafted last year, who's in the rookie league. Uh, Adonis Medina is a guy who is potentially somebody who can make an impact with the Phillies. Um, I, I look at him. I, I, he may be ranked, I believe, top five as a prospect. Of course, Spencer Howard is still their number one prospect. And what he showed last year was inconsistency. And, and there's still hope. Like, I think people last year at this time could not wait for when's Spencer Howard going to make the starting rotation and when's he going to be part of the team. And Bryce Harper said, I think, during that extent spring training part. Two, remember that. Right. He said, if he's not pitching by day uh, seven, day, right, yeah. there's a problem. Yeah. Uh, and and what, what he showed last year was underwhelming. So I think people, uh, their, their expectations for Spencer Howard have decreased and diminished. And I don't think that's fair. I still think he's that same guy who showed that potential. But last year was just strange for everybody. So I think there should be more excitement about Spencer Howard. Uh, Stott and Abel are certainly a few more years away, but Adonis Medina can be a guy who could have a little bit of an impact uh, on the pitching staff too, as well. And then you look at some of the other names, and and uh, you know they're really Rafael Marchand, who is a, a catcher who's considered like a top ten prospect for the Phillies, but you know he had a big three run home run in a game last year that. And the Phillies ended up, I believe, losing and they didn't make the playoffs. But uh, maybe he ends up being a guy who can give you some quality at bats and starts when JT Realmuto isn't playing. But of course, Andrew Knapp is going to go into the season as the backup catcher. So this farm system doesn't have much right now, Zach. Right. All right. Before we get to my last question, which is predicting the, the, the batting order, um, I want to make sure that I talk about what you're interested in. I want to make sure that you want to plug it. Like if you want to talk about anything that you're interested in, I know you have your faith on the field and I see you're wearing a shirt that says faith. So do you want to talk? Yeah, about that's it? actually my uh, faith on the field show shirt. Very so, nice. 
Yeah, Faith on a Field show is my passion. We launched it four years ago on ESPN Radio in Philadelphia, which is now, um, it's on 97.5 The Fanatic, which is where I am a weekend host when I'm not covering Eagles or Phillies or the NFL. So that is my passion. It's also on a radio station in um, Florida, ESPN Tallahassee, and a couple other local stations in the Philadelphia area. People could check it out just by going on faithonafieldshow.com. And instead of listening to it live on a radio, you could download and listen to the podcasts and everything else. But I'm looking to expand it into new markets this year. And I haven't thought about it, Zach, but maybe I'll, I'll look at a sports radio station in Canada. Why not? You should, but look at, uh, yeah. What about this? Have you heard about the score? I, I certainly know of it. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Check that out. Okay. Yeah. I, I got it. I said, why not? Let's do it. Yeah. If, I, if there's anything I can do to help, I make any introductions, I will. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. I know some guys at the Jays, so I can maybe talk to some people there. Um, all right. So last question for you, and I appreciate you spending time with me. Um, from fantasy, like uh, the leagues that we play in, plate appearances are very important. So volume is important. So being at the top of the order is important and being in the order is important. So if you had to predict the order on opening day, and then I guess for the Phillies, there's not really any prospects that you're like that you're worrying about. So I think your answer is Correct me if I'm wrong, probably going to be the same April and July, but what, if you had to make a prediction, how the, how the order would shape up, because we did talk about bomb mm -hmm. and where he was going to land. Yeah. The batting order. So I, I would look at, well, I would probably go obviously McCutcheon leading off. And I think they're going to go with Reese Hoskins, given that he, he played, you know, he batted well, he hit well in that second spot in the lineup. He's a high on base percentage guy. Uh, and he picked up his power numbers. So I think they'll stick with McCutcheon, Reese batting second, Bryce Harper third, uh, fourth would be JT, uh, fifth would be Didi Gregorius, and depending maybe if there's a left-handed pitcher, they'd flip-flop Didi and, and Gene Segura five, six. And then seven, eight, you would have to go um, Baum and Kingery. And, and maybe, maybe you, uh, or whoever the center fielder is, whoever the center fielder is, whether it's Kingery or Adam Hazley eight, but I think Baum would probably might start out the season in a six or seven hole with him or Kingery six or seven and Didi fifth. But again, if it's a left-handed pitcher and you drop Didi, maybe you move up Segura or you move up Baum, depending on who's hitting better at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, you look at their batting averages, but Hoskins and McCutcheon are such good OBP players that um, it makes sense for those guys to be up there. It's a shame, though, because I think Baum is deserving of a high batting order spot just when you look at him in a vacuum. But when you look at him relative to other players on that team, it makes sense what you said. Like, there's, you can only have so many people at the top of the order. Yeah, and you like to have balance throughout, right? And, uh, you know, Baum is certainly a guy who's a middle of the order guy or a top of the order guy. And I wouldn't rule that out. I think he could. He could play his way into that, or more likely it's other guys struggle and maybe they move down in a lineup. Right. So I think that's where eventually he will live. That's where he will be as a middle of the order or top of the order guy. But I think to start out this season, he's probably going to be closer to either in a six or seven spot. Okay. Fair enough. So Rob, I, I, that's, all, that's all I have for you. Um, I appreciate you spending the time with me. Um, I'll just, um, you want, if you want to tell everyone where they can find you on Twitter, I, I have it down here as um, at Rob um, M-A-A-D-D-I. So double A, double D. Yep. Double A, double D I Rob Motti on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram is the only one that's different. That's at real 
Rob Motti. And uh, of course, Faith on the Field is the uh, my show, my other show, my passion. I got a pro football podcast I do for the AP that comes out every Thursdays. And uh, just follow me. And anybody want to reach out with anything, I always try and answer my DMs. Well, you answered mine, and I appreciate that, Rob. You got that, my man. All right. Take it easy, buddy. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.